Oh, thank you, and welcome everyone to worship today. You know, the sinking of the Titanic in April of 1912 was one of the most uh, dramatic uh, disasters in all of the 20th century. Now, there were worse disasters where more lives were lost, but perhaps none more dramatic and gripping than the sinking of that huge vessel that some had boasted even God cannot sink. And when the list of passengers was posted at Pier 54 in New York Harbor, passengers were listed in one of only two categories. They were either saved or lost. Those were the only two categories. This family, friends, curious people gathered there at Pier 54. These, by the way, are the actual names of people who were either saved or lost passengers on the Titanic. And so it was an incredible moment as people watched these lists, as they saw the list, they were elated when they saw their loved one's name under saved and naturally grieved when the name of their loved one appeared under lost. Now, friends, the Bible teaches that on Judgment Day, there will really only be two kinds of people, the saved and the lost. Now, what does it mean when Scripture uses that word lost? It's talking about people who are separated from God by their sin, floundering in the sea of this world, condemned to sink into the abyss of hell forever. It's a serious, serious thing. And Scripture says that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man is coming to seek and to save what was lost. But what does it mean to be saved in Bible terms? It means that we're... uh, rescued from the consequences of our sin so that we can live with God in heaven forever. And just as the people floundering in those icy waters of the Atlantic could not swim hundreds of miles to America to save themselves, the same is true today with those who are lost. There's nothing we can do. There's no performance, no religious deeds, no good works we can do that can save us from our situation. And just as the lifeboat was the only means of salvation for them, so Jesus, Scripture says, is the only way we can be saved today. Now, friends, what I've just shared with you in that minute or two is Christianity 101. I mean, that is the basics. I hope you understand that. I hope that in your journey of faith that that has become crystal clear. But now let's jump into today's message with that as a backdrop by asking this intriguing question. Why... Doesn't everyone respond to Christ's offer of salvation? I mean, if it's really true that we're lost, and by the way, I know some of you may be a bit offended by that word. Lost? I'm not lost. Well, I I hate to tell you this, but Scripture uses an even more 
offensive word when we're separated from God, and it says we're dead. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But since that is true, and since Jesus came to offer salvation, why would anyone in their right mind reject that? Well, in the parable we're about to study today, Jesus speaks to that very issue. And and I just want to say, before we begin to read and unpack this parable, I, I want you to know this is a very encouraging parable to me. Here's why. Because as a pastor, I'm sometimes amazed at the responses people make to the gospel. And I'm, I'm puzzled by them sometimes. And, and, and this parable has helped me through the years to understand people's reaction. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you as well. So let's get started. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more Then was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I want you to notice, first of all, that some people don't respond to Christ's offer of salvation because their hearts are hard, Jesus said, and they really need cultivating. Now, sometimes Jesus told parables where we kind of scratch our head and we're left to wonder what they actually mean. So I'm so glad when Jesus interprets his own parable for us, and that's what he does here. When we read on, we get down to verse 11, and Jesus explains this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Have you ever met anyone with a cynical, hard heart? Actress Susan Sarandon was asked some time back, if there is a heaven, what would you like to hear God say to you? And she paused for a moment and responded, I'd like to hear her say, Let's party. Now, I think that's typical of some. Have you known people who are so uh, skeptical, so cynical about this whole idea that one day we might have to stand before a holy God and give an account for our lives that they just kind of scoff at it and laugh it off? They may be upset or annoyed if you ever bring up spiritual things. Even in your kindness, as you invite them to church, they may even get angry at that. Zechariah the prophet, centuries ago, talked about people with hard hearts. Here's what he wrote. They refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen. Now, Why would anybody 
harden their heart. This is not in your notes, but I'm going to mention about a half dozen of the key reasons that I've observed. There are probably many more, but you might want to jot some of these little ideas down. First of all, it may be their upbringing that has hardened their heart. I mean, let's face it. If children are raised, constantly drilled with this belief, hey, Christianity's for weak people. Christians are just ignorant. They're just people who need a crutch to help them get through life. Christianity's the opiate of the people. Then naturally, they're going to be preconditioned against the gospel. And there are a lot of people today in that category. Second, repeated sin can harden people's hearts. We speak about a cold-blooded murderer or a hardened criminal. And it's true. If you continue in a certain sin, the heart gets hard. It numbs the conscience. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says we ought to encourage one another lest any one of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Third, pride and arrogance can harden people. For instance, I read in the book of Daniel chapter 5 that when King Belshazzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne. And if you perceive yourself as a self-made woman or man, if you feel self-sufficient, I don't need God, I don't need anybody, I can make it on my own, then you're the antithesis of what Jesus says your attitude should be. He says, no, to enter the kingdom, you've got to humble yourself and become like a little child. But that's hard. That's hard for a proud person to do. Fourth, I think, I think some people's hearts are hardened by painful circumstances. And I'm so empathetic with many of these people. We all know folks who've had tragedies. And they may say things like this, well, oh, if there, I, I don't believe in God, but if there is a God, he must be a terrible God, or he would have never let that happen to my child. He would have never let my business go down the tubes. God, if there is a God, would have never let my wife walk away like that. And I'm empathetic because life can deal some horribly painful circumstances. But you know what? I've watched those same circumstances, or even worse, soften the heart of a lot of people and open them up to God. But you can still almost understand how some people can be resistant to God because of the pain they've gone through. Fifth, I think some are hardened because of the rank hypocrisy that they see in Christians. And boy, this is one that really bothers me as a pastor. I hear all kinds of stories. Oh, yeah, she talks a good talk, but you ought to see her at work. She lords it over her employees. She prances around. She barks orders. She screams at people. She's dogmatic and dictatorial and demeaning to folks. Boy, if that's what it's about, I want nothing to do with it. Oh, you should have met my stepfather. Oh, he was a deacon in the church. Everybody respected him. He could quote Bible verses like you've never seen. But at home, whoo, he was so verbally abusive. It's just turned me off. 
And people will say, oh, growing up, we had a wonderful pastor. Everybody loved him. He could preach the best sermons you ever heard. But one day he just up and ran off with the secretary. I haven't been back to church since. You've heard those stories, haven't you? Yeah. And so people actually go through their whole life hiding behind the hypocrites in the church. The weirdness of that is that somehow they think that exonerates them or somehow they think that relieves them of their personal responsibility before God. But let's face it, hypocrisy hardens some hearts. Sixth, some people are hardened by familiarity. In this very parable, Jesus said some seed falls on the path and the path is made hard by constant traffic. You know what I think? I think in a culture like America, where we've got gospel TV, Christian TV, and the gospel preached on the radio, and churches all around, I think people have heard the gospel, some of them so many times, it's just like, wah, 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 wah. And they hear it, but it just goes off of them like water off a duck's back. It never sticks. It never penetrates that hard Heart. But here's what I want you to take away. Jesus loves people with hard hearts. And he wants us to love them too and be patient and keep reaching out to them. Now, I know Jesus met some hard-hearted religious leaders, and he's pretty rough on them. Would you agree? I mean, come on. He called them snakes. That's pretty bad. Vipers. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Blind gods. Yeah, he was pretty rough. But you know what? Right here in the Gospel of Luke is a very different story as well. Another side to that coin. There were certain Pharisees, religious leaders, that invited Jesus to dinner and he accepted their invitation. Three times in the book of Luke that happens. And Jesus listened to them, talked to them, dialogued about faith. Nicodemus was a part of a hardened group called the Sanhedrin, most of whom were very skeptical about Jesus. And yet Nicodemus came at night and Jesus conversed with him. And Nicodemus responded and put his faith in Christ and became a disciple. So what I'm saying is don't give up on hard-hearted people. You never know when that seed is going to grow. I heard sometime back that archaeologists discovered in an ancient Egyptian tomb Amazing. Some grains of wheat that were over 3,000 years old. And so they did an experiment. They planted some of those seeds. And you know what? They grew. Although they'd been there for over 3,000 years. And you may talk to someone and you think, well, they're so hard-hearted. It doesn't make any difference. You may feel like a total failure as a Christian. But years later, that seed may slip into a tiny crack. And you may be astounded at the transformation that God brings. I, I got a package recently from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I, I saw the return address on it. I couldn't believe it. I thought... Who do I know? Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I mean, is Fidel Castro sending me things, you know? What, what, what is this? And, and I, I kind of warily opened it up 
And all I could think of in the back of my mind as it was opening up was a few good men and Colonel Nathan Jessup and, 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 and all that stuff. And I opened it up and it was two really nice t-shirts and a beautiful American flag, nicely folded. And it was from Frank and Rhonda Hoteling. Frank is serving in Guantanamo Bay at the American base there, ministering to soldiers, doing a fantastic job, sharing the gospel, discipling people there at that American base. And I remembered the story. See, I met Frank over 20 years ago, and he was a really good athlete. He was a boxer, trained hard. And he had won a couple of titles in boxing. He was very ambitious with his career. But by his own admission, he would tell you he was hard to the gospel. He was cynical. He'd seen so much that it turned him off. His heart was just hard as flint. But today, he's an ordained minister of the gospel. He went ahead and got his Master of Divinity degree. He's a sold out, fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. What happened? What softened his heart? Well, his wife, Rhonda, became a Christian. And she began to pray. She began to weep for her husband who was so far from God in those days. And she came to Debbie and me and asked us to join her in praying for Frank that God would soften his heart. And she kept planting seeds of the gospel. And I was able to plant some seeds of the gospel in Frank's heart. But nothing happened for years. And finally, years later... God softened his heart and those seeds began to grow. And God honored Rhonda's fervent prayers and tears. And within a number of years, Frank had become a follower. Don't give up. Don't give up on hard-hearted people. Jesus Christ cares so much. And I want to say to you, if you find yourself in that place today, all God's looking for is just a crack where a seed might grow through the hard concrete of your heart. But I want to warn you, if you don't at least give God a crack, just saying, he may use a jackhammer. He has in the past, because sometimes that's what it takes to break through the hard concrete of a heart. Second, some people don't respond to the gospel because they have shallow hearts and they need deepening. Let's read on in verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Actress Jodie Foster was asked about her views on religion, and she said, I have no religious background, and in fact, I think that's what has made me very interested in religion. I read a lot about philosophy and theology in college, and I have a great respect for it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I espouse any religion. Let's see. Do I believe in God? I'd say no. But I believe in belief, and I believe in faith, and how important that can be. Wow, really, Jody? You know, there's some people who talk about religion, talk about faith, talk about theology or God, but they don't really know what that means. There's an inherent shallowness 
about it all. And, and people come to church like that for all kinds of reasons. Some people come to church just because they want to listen to the music or they want to see the show or they want to be where other people are. Some people come because they're experiencing some pain in their life and they're looking for a quick fix and just some quick relief. Lots of people come for that reason. Some people come to find a date. Some people come, some people come to church because they want to build their business network and they're looking to network with people and, and do some business. All kinds of, of reasons. But if their faith is that shallow, then when the season of testing comes along and Satan entices them with some temptation, they're quickly going to wilt because they have no root. They have no substance. And boy, have I known a lot of people in that category through the years. Oh, my. They come, they show up for a while, they, they, they show excitement about the faith, but you never really know if they're in or out. You never really know where they stand. And then you see them years later out in an event somewhere in the community, at a restaurant or something, you go, hey, how you been doing? Strike up a conversation. This has happened to me dozens and dozens of times. I say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How it's go- how's it going? You know what I've never heard? I've never heard in that situation anybody say to me, Well, I'll tell you, Pastor, the truth is I'm just really a shallow person. I'll tell you the thing about me. I've just got a character flaw, you know? I start a lot of things. I get really excited, but I don't finish. I've never heard anybody say that. You know what they usually do instead? You say, well, it just really wasn't working for me. I, I really wasn't connecting with people. I felt the church was a little unfriendly at times. I didn't like the approach to this. And, I, I, you know, it, it, it took a lot of time to go to church. And, and, and somebody was mean to me. And, and, you know, I wasn't really having my needs, man. And if you're not mature enough to figure out what's going on, you may start feeling all bad yourself and all guilty, like, wow, the church is just letting people down right and left. When it may not be the church's fault at all. Newsflash, newsflash, Jesus said right here, some people are just shallow. They're just shallow people. They have no root. They have no substance. They're going to be here today, gone tomorrow. They're going to be all over the place. Jesus himself experienced that. In John chapter 6, we read that over 5,000 excited people were there to hear Jesus. Man, they were into it. The Bible actually calls them mathetes, disciples. They were learners. And Jesus fed over 5,000 with bread. And man, they were pumped. Lunch was good. Man, they'd had that fish sandwich. They're coming back for breakfast tomorrow. And Jesus said, look, dudes and dudesses, I am not a bread Messiah. You guys are here for the wrong reason. This is just shallow. This This is just crazy. Look, I've come to give you the bread of life. I've come to feed your souls on substance and what really matters. And you know what the Bible says in John 6, verse 66? This is unbelievable. From that time forth, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
Jesus turned to the 12 and said, are you gonna go too? And Simon Peter pipes up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Think about that. A mass of over 5,000 people all excited, but only 120 had the perseverance to stick to the very end. And yet Jesus kept reaching out. I think he kept praying for those people And I would imagine that on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed, I would imagine that out of that 3,000, a bunch of those had been a part of the 5,000. Don't give up on shallow people. Keep praying. Keep reaching out to them. One day they may actually get a root, some substance to their life. The gospel may bring forth a harvest. You know, one of the things God uses to deepen us when we're a bit shallow is service. There's something about serving others. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. There's something about that. We do it because we think we're helping, but what we realize serendipitously is that it's actually helping us too. We're getting deeper when we serve others, and that's one of the reasons that I'm so pumped about this grace in action thing we've been doing throughout this series Because I know God is going to deepen a lot of people as we serve. By the way, I'm holding right here a Grace in Action booklet. Uh, These are available at the information centers you go out. You can look at one out there, take a copy, kind of look at it. But, But far better than getting a physical copy of this, which is probably already obsolete the moment it was printed. It's continuously being updated online. And so I would urge you far better to go online through your computer or mobile device and just click on the website and you can access all the opportunities, all the different ways that you can go as a small group leader and get your group involved and go as a a youth group and and go as a group of senior citizens and go as a group of friends or a family and, and make a difference for Christ. The truth is, folks, God's up to some good stuff. But I want us to remember that the litmus test of grace in action is not what we did in March. The litmus test is what we'll do next month and the next and next year. The question is, is the culture changing in the church? The question is, are we becoming a more servant-oriented people? God uses that to deepen us. But third, I want you to see here that some people don't respond to Christ because they're too busy and they need refocusing. Verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but they go on their way. As they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. In my Bible, I circled those three words, worries, riches, and pleasures. And here's the truth. Some people have good intentions. They start well, but their own success in life chokes out their spiritual life. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Here's a young couple. They start coming to church uh, they begin to put some roots down in Christ and in the church. They, they start getting involved. Their children are growing up. They spend time here, but they've got a business. It's beginning to go well. 
And as their business prospers, it seems that Christ and the church kind of takes a back seat on the calendar. And so this is a typical conversation that I've, I've had. Hey, pastor, we're really pumped up. New year, man, January. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're so excited. Hey, by the way, we, we won a Caribbean cruise through our business. And so we're stoked. We're going to be away, by the way, for a couple of weekends with that. But don't worry, we'll be back February. Hey, it's flu season. You know, it's really slamming a lot of people. We don't want to expose our kids to all that stuff that's going around. But don't be alarmed. We'll see you later. March. Hey, March Madness, baby. It is bananas around our house, man. We don't want to miss a moment of the action. But we'll be back. We'll be there. April, hey, it's spring break for our kids. You know, they're going to be down in Florida. And you know, the wife and I figured that we take a little time for ourselves. It'll be a weekend or two that we'll, we'll be away. But you know, you're in our hearts, brother. We're praying. May, hey, it's the big kickoff for summer. Family, friends are coming in. We do this every year. Yeah, it's a couple of weekends involved. But we just want to celebrate the coming of summer, especially after a winter like this. Oh, by the way, Pastor, you know, this Mother's Day, we're going to go to see my wife's mother, so we'll be away that weekend too. But, but don't be alarmed. We'll catch you in June. June, hey, we got a little place up in the Adirondacks. Yeah, the black flies drive us half crazy, but we're going to spend a number of weekends up there this summer. We'll be away for a while, but we'll be back July. Oh, our son made the travel team. He's a part of the all-star travel team, so that's pretty much going to tie up every weekend throughout that part of the summer. August, oh, it's Saratoga, and the racetrack is going hot. Man, you know how business is. you got to kind of wine and dine people. So when our clients come in, they want to go see Saratoga, so I'll be up there just about every weekend with them. Business calls. Oh, September, it's so good to be back and back. Our kids are back in school, life settling. Oh, by the way, there is a golf trip one weekend, but we'll catch you in October. October, man, the leaves are beautiful around here. It's so good to be in the routine again. Oh, by the way, there's a business convention in Las Vegas, and we'll be at that. But November, man, we're going to be... By the way, you know, Thanksgiving's a big deal for our family, so we're going to my mom's this year, and so we'll be away for a while, and so that's going to take a lot of time and energy, but we're thinking of you. We're praying, December, can you believe it? Christmas comes on Friday this year, Friday of all days, and so we're probably going to have kind of a family hangover, you know, a holiday hangover with all the food and festivities, but we're thinking about your brother January. Can you believe another year has gone by? By the way, Pastor, you know, when our kids come to the youth group, They said to us that sometimes they feel like outsiders. So what's wrong with the church? Can can you help us with that? Can you solve that for us? Folks, Jesus didn't say it's the big awful things of life that choke it out. He said it's the worries, the riches, the pleasures It's just the stuff of life, and the gospel tends to get lost. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world. That's why Jesus was constantly urging people to get their priorities straight. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. 
So I want to say this to you before we turn a big corner here in our message and go down home stretch. I want every heart, every mind to hear this. Christianity has to be a passionate priority or it will quickly become a secondary hobby. I've seen it over and over again with hundreds and hundreds of people. Christianity has to be a passionate priority or it will quickly become a secondary hobby. Just a little footnote. Just a little thing you do on Sunday. But that's about it. Well, if all of this is true, why do some people then respond differently? Why do some people accept Christ's offer of salvation? I think verse 15 kind of gives us the answer. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce Jesus gives an important clue right there. He says some people have receptive hearts. Their heart is good soil. You say, well, pastor, what's, what makes the difference in that? You know, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm an Arminian or I'm a Calvinist, and I want to know the answer to that. Pastor, is it God really preparing their heart? He just prepares some people's hearts. He doesn't prepare others. And that's why some people have good soil in their heart and they're receptive. Or is it more that God really honors our free will? And you know what? Some people just make a wise choice. And as God draws them, they make the choice to be open to the gospel. What's the answer, Pastor? Yes, that's the answer. It's God's sovereignty. He's always working, Jesus said. And it's our true free will. We choose. You say, but how do you reconcile that you don't need to because they're good friends? God's sovereignty and our free will are antinomies in the Bible. Two truths that lie parallel. They're both true even though they seem paradoxical. You don't need to reconcile good friends. They work beautifully together in God's plan. And some hearts are open to the gospel and they follow through. You say, well, well what, is God looking, what is God looking to produce? What does God want? Oh, that's a great question, I'll tell you. He wants character and he wants converts or new Christians. Character. First fruit God is looking for, he wants a harvest of changed character. The fruit of the Spirit, here it is, here's the harvest. Here's what God's looking for. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What I'm saying to you is that being a Christian should make you a better student. Being a Christian should make you a better doctor, a better nurse, a better teacher, a better neighbor, a better child, a better parent. Being a student should make, a, a Christian should make you a better attorney, a better factory worker, a better athlete, because he's producing this harvest of character. But secondly, being a follower of Christ should make you understand that you're on mission for him. 
he wants you to be involved in this great harvest of bringing people who are currently far from God into relationship with God. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God wants you and me to be a part of that. That's what this church is all about. We exist to sow seeds of the gospel. We exist to make more and better disciples. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and then help them get better acquainted as they grow up and mature in Jesus. That, that explains everything we do. Pretty simple, really. That's all we're about, nothing else. More and better disciples. That's why we go on short-term mission trips. We've got two trips coming up that maybe God would be kind of nudging you to sign up and check out and become a part of these. One is going to Uganda, May 28th through June 6th. And then later in August is the Guatemala family trip, August 16 to 22. Now, why, why would anybody take their own vacation time go thousands of miles away to minister to people they've never met. One reason. The gospel is really good news. And the Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. So the harvest is what God is looking for. And by the way, let me say to those of you who are really a part of this church, that's why we make no apology that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And that's why we will continue to take every opportunity we can to sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of thousands and thousands of people because that's what God has called us to do. When Captain Arthur Rostron of the ocean liner Carpathia received that distress call on April the 10th, 1912, he immediately turned his ocean liner around. The distress call that came from the Titanic said simply this, the ship is sinking, people are going to die. Captain Rostron immediately turned the ship around and began to go full speed ahead, dodging deadly icebergs along the way. He even ordered that the lights be turned off so every ounce of power could be directed toward the engines. Thankfully, they were able to save those 705 survivors who were in lifeboats, some of whom had gotten wet and would no doubt have died of hypothermia had they not arrived so quickly. Sadly, of course, they were not able to save those over 1,500 who perished in the icy waters. But amazingly, amazingly, Captain Rostron was criticized by his colleagues for what they called reckless endangerment of his own crew and ship to get to the scene of the disaster. But Rostron re passionately responded, when the distress cry goes out and people's lives are hanging in the ballasts, 
It's not reckless. It's rescue. That's what the church is about. People are perishing, folks. And we're called to be in the rescue business. Because on Judgment Day, there's only two categories. Two. Saved and lost. The theme song that we've been singing through this series is by the group for King and Country. I've fallen in love with this song. It's called Fix My Eyes, and it starts by kind of raising the scenario. You know, if I could hit the rewind button on my life, press rewind and and click delete, and just kind of start over, do it all over again, how would I do it differently? And here's what the lyrics say. I'd love like I'm not scared. Give when it's not fair. Live life for another. Take time for a brother. Fight for the weak ones. Speak out for freedom. Find faith in the battle. Stand tall, but above it all. So we figure it's time to celebrate. Our team thought it'd be a great idea just to sing this song together one more time here and just celebrate some of the awesome things that God has done. And this is just the beginning. But through this series, let's celebrate the advances, the successes, and the victories that God has brought about as we've learned from Jesus how to do something to make a difference. Let's celebrate together. Oh, 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 oh.
Fix my eyes. 